Hej, jeg hedder Lise Bakhansen, og jeg glæder mig rigtig meget til, at I skal høre den her podcast. Det er en podcast, hvor I skal stifte bekendtskab med Audur Ava Olufstotir fra Island. Og hun er, som I sikkert ved, en af Islands mest kendte forfattere. Audur Ava Olufstotir fik sit gennembrud med bogen Stiklingen, som alene i Frankrig er solgt i mere end 300.000 eksemplarer. I 2018 der modtog hun også Nordisk Råds litteraturpris, og det var for sin roman Ar. I denne podcast der stiller vi skarpt på hendes seneste roman, Miss Island, som er hendes fjerde roman. Og der er hun i samtale med Mikkel Harder Munk Hansen, og hun fortæller ham om at være ung kvindelig forfatter i 60'erne på Island i et forholdsvist snæversynet samfund. Det er nemlig det, bogen handler om. Og Mikkel, han er blandt andet nysgerrig på, hvornår det faktisk blev muligt for alvor at have en stemme som kvinde og blive hørt i det islandske samfund. Vi har inviteret Mikkel som samtalepartner, fordi vi altid forsøger at finde den helt rigtige person, og fordi han blandt andet i en årrække har boet på Island, hvor han var direktør for Kulturhuset Nordens Hus i Reykjavik. Mikkel Harder Munk Hansen er også sceneinstruktør uddannet skuespiller og tidligere skuespilser på det Kongelige Teater. I løbet af samtalen, der vil I også høre uddrag fra romanen Miss Island. Det er oplæsningen af skuespilleren Karin Bang Heinemeier. Rigtig god fornøjelse. You have written lots of books, and the latest one is uh, in Danish translation is called Miss Island. And um It takes place in Iceland in uh, 1963. It starts a little bit before, but mm-hmm. most of it is uh, around 1963 and it was a very conservative country there were no tourists in iceland in 63 or like in the novel there was one tourist and the the uh, a side character uh, comes across that tourist he nearly runs over him so she drives him like um uh, where he's going to like 200 kilometers um So usually there were only like two or three German eccentrics that went to Iceland in in that time, and I actually remember my my father usually like like uh, Icelandic man at the time he came home for dinner quite late, and once he didn't show up until midnight, and he had he had met that one traveler. That one tourist that was hitchhiking, he met him in Reykjavik, and so he drove him like 200 kilometers to the countryside. He was the most polite man I, I, I knew, my father, and that was the Icelandic hospitality. So, and Icelanders didn't travel either. When I went abroad for the first time, I was like 14 years old in the in the in the 70s. I. It, the, the the airline tickets costed like one month's salary, 
1963, Icelanders were 170,000 people. We had one uh, Nobel Prize winner and we had two um, transatlantic airlines, aeroplanes. And actually one of them crashed in, in, um, at Fornebo Airport in Oslo in 1963, in that year. Um, so it was quite primitive um, country in a way that was during the Cold War and those in power in, in, in Iceland um, at that time were all of the same age and same sex, men in their 50s. And the same for the, the, the literary community in Iceland, that was like a man's club. So um, it's set in 1963 and speaks of that uh, young female um, author, a young woman who wants to become an author, a talented one. She's born in, in, in a farm in, in, at the countryside. She's delivered by a, by a veterinarian, you know, an animal doctor. <laughs> because every novel about... Um, about a writer, about an artist, needs the myth of a birth, according to the tradition, except that male writers, they are born writers, and they become genius by the age of um, 13. And if you re read like biographies, autobiographies written by male authors, you, you find out that they you know, they are about the, um, the things that explain why they are um, genius. It's the tradition of Rousseau. You can take, for example, Sartre or Nabokov. Whereas in, in, in autobiographies written by female authors, they often um, start the, the story by the puberty age, and the, the body is central in their stories, and it's a problematic body because it, it can become um, pregnant at least for the, the, the women of the generation of my hero, Hekla, mm. named after the volcano, Hekla. Yes, she was born before her time, her father told her. Yeah. Uh, and her mother didn't like her name. She didn't want her to be called after the girl to hate. Yeah, yeah. She didn't know that uh, her husband, her mother, was so, so into volcanoes. He was, you know... He, he, he even dreamt about eruptions. So Hekla, you know, the, the story takes place in 63. She's born in, 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 in 42. And her father had been waiting for an eruption of Hekla for a long time because, you know, the mountain had erupted in like 100 years. But, but after then there was this great eruption in, in 47, 1947, and the father took the child, then four years old, to see Hekla, her namesake, erupting. And that's the first chapter, this, you know, travel, the first travel of the, the, the main character of the book, Hekla, and when she comes back, she's not the same one. It's like it's um, 
a, the story of a, a birth of a poet. She doesn't use the same uh, vocabulary when she comes back. She speaks um, volcanic language and she has discovered the sky and she's just looking up and she's lying in the snow, she's lying in the grass and she's looking at the sky. So that's, um, yeah, the, the birth of a poet going away at the travel that you can actually find in most of my books, um, going away in order to change, to, be, to become someone else, to, to, um, and obviously to, to return back. It, it's, it seems to, to be a common theme for writers born on islands, going away and coming back. Mm. And um, she's not the only character in the book who has left their childhood area. Mm -hmm. the, fir the first travel, major travel, is to Reykjavik, to the big city. But uh, it's also difficult to become what they are or be what they are in, in Iceland, in Reykjavik. And the dream is about going abroad. Yeah, and and it's difficult because it's so expensive, as you said. Yeah, well, it, it, the main uh, there are three main characters in the book. There, there is this uh, female writer Hekla, her childhood friend Ise, and the, a young homosexual, Young John, and they are all creative people, um, maybe in in a, in a different way. Um, um, her childhood friend is um, a housewife. They're all young. Um, she's a housewife with with a small child, expecting another one, and she's like a speaking poet. You know, sometimes we talk about writing poet and a speaking poet. She's composing poetry without realizing she's a poet. She's reading, writing a, a pile of conversation and she doesn't realize it's theater pieces. And I even make her um, write a, a crime novel 40 years before that became a trend or a fashion, you know, in the Nordic countries. And she doesn't have any stimulation with alone, uh, she doesn't meet anyone. Um, except the fishmonger, and you know, at that time they wrapped the fish in newspapers, and she asks him to wrap it into to a poem or a short story, and not the death notices. And when she gets back home, she unwraps the fish in the sink and reads reads the the, the poet. So she doesn't have any stimulation, but she's. Um, She's like transforming everything, the small things of her everyday life into something bigger. She's transforming it into beauty. She's, we all know people like that, you know, creative people that transform everything into adventure. And um, so I used her a bit, and that's maybe what's the most personal in this book. I used her to to be the spokesman of some of my theories about creation that I smuggled mm. in the, the book. And I think we should listen to a short extract from the book uh, that explains exactly what Issei is doing and how they 
discuss. Medea. Jeg rækker min veninde en hvid voksbehandlet æske med fire snitter. Det var noget af en opgave at bakke den hele vejen over i Nordjyrsmyri i ruskværet. Jeg bemærker, at hun har flyttet tramsengen fra soveværelset ind i stuen. Så kan jeg holde øje med turgeret om dagen, siger hun. Om natten sover hun i min seng, tilføjer hun. Hun lægger sin datter fra sig i sengen, letter på låget og smiler op til begge ører. Jeg kan se, at snitterne har forryttet, forrykket sig, og at majonæsstriben er blevet forskubbet og flyttet sammen med rejerne. Hun anbringer dem i køleskabet og sætter sig over for mig ved køkkenbordet. Døren står åben ind til stuen, og hun holder øje med barnet. Kan du huske, at jeg fortalte dig, at jeg var begyndt at skrive dagbog, som alligevel ikke er nogen rigtig dagbog? Ja, det kan jeg godt huske. Jeg gik med barnevognen hele vejen ned i byen i går og købte mig en dagbog til. Med stormen lige mod mig. Manden i Gudgejas papirhandel kunne godt huske mig. Han rådede mig til snarere at købe stilehæfter eller kvadrerede regnehæfter, siden jeg nu var så hurtig til at fylde dem ud, for det ville være billigere. Det er den rene luksus, jeg køber. Hun er tabt et stykke tid, mens hun hælder vand på kaffen. Jeg har begyndt at skrive samtaler ned, siger hun til sidst. Hvad slags samtaler? Det er, som folk siger. Både det, som folk siger, og det, som de ikke siger. Jeg kan ikke forklare Lidhurt, at når han siger et eller andet, får jeg lyst til at skrive det ned. Og heller ikke, at jeg skriver det ned, som han ikke siger. Han vil heller ikke forstå, at nogle gange, så får jeg lyst til at holde op med det, jeg er i gang med, og skrive om det i stedet, for det skal blive virkeligt. Min veninde ser frem for sig. Forleden blev vi inviteret til middag hos mine svigerforældre i Efterzonen. Min svigerinder var der også. De kan med nød og næppe tage den amerikanske tv-kanal. En enkelt sætning, som Drøften sagde om sin mand, gjorde, at jeg bad den have mig undskyldt og gik ind på et værelse for at skrive et par sætninger ned. Hun ryster på hovedet. Har du tænkt dig, Hekla? Jeg er begyndt at gå rundt med en skriveblok og en kuglepind i tasken. Hun skænker kaffe i min kop og sætter sig spændet i håret. Da vi var kommet hjem og lige du var faldet i søvn, fortsatte jeg med at skrive samtaler. Før jeg vidste af det, sad jeg med 18 sider om en kvinde, som opdager sin ægtemands utroskab og hævner sig ved at slå deres børn ihjel. Ej, det vil lige du ikke kunne forstå. Hun tager barnet op af trammesengen og sætter det på sin hofte. Fortæl mig, hvad du laver derude, Hekla. Fortæl mig, hvem der kommer på borg. Fortæl mig om livet uden for Kjartans gatter. Skal jeg fortælle hende om alle mandfolkene, som ikke kan lade mig være i fred? Som stiger på mig og udnytter situationen til at græmse på mig uden at spørge? Så jeg inviterer mig ud. Magtfuld mænd. Jeg takker hver gang høfligt nej. Det tager de ikke videre positivt op. De er vant til at få deres vilje og lade piger fyre, hvis de ikke føjer dem. I stedet fortæller jeg min veninde, som skriver samtaler om natten, at jeg har fået lånekort til stadsbiblioteket i Thingholstredi og kan komme med bøger til hende. Min veninde vil have, at vi flytter os ind i stuen. Hun rækker mig barnet og henter kaffekopperne og stiller dem på sofabordet. Så vidt jeg kan se, er der blevet fået endnu et kjærvalgmaleri til. Så der er nu tre. For at få plads til dem, har man været nødt til at flytte skænken og hænge to af malerierne op oven over hinanden, sådan at den øverste kant på rammen af det ene går helt op til loftet. Min veninde bekræfter, at de nu har landskaber fra hele tre landsdele i den lille stue. Hun lader sig dumpe ned i sofaen og ser alvorligt ud. Det viser sig, at hun har haft en drøm. Jeg drømte, siger hun, at vi var flyttet ind i et nyt hus, og at hele inventaret var af brun palisanter, og der var en lang trappe op til overetagen med mange trin, og jeg havde torgert på armen, 
Der var fire børneværelser i huset. Nu er jeg bange for, at det betyder, at jeg vil få fire børn. Tak. Here we have a conversation between the two friends. Mm-hmm. And uh, one, as you said, she's trapped in this basement, in a small house in Reykjavik, mm-hmm. with a child and expecting another. And the other one is um, writing at night, but during the day she works at a hotel. Yeah. Um, but she's, you know, she's advised uh, rather than losing her time writing to take part in in a beauty competition and and become uh, Miss Iceland. That was also, you know, in a way, um, one of the few ways to to get to see abroad, to get to travel. Um, be, becoming Miss Iceland, they, they, she would be sent abroad. The other way was for a young woman was to to become an an air hostess. But given that there were only two aeroplanes, you know, <laughs> so yeah. There's one thing I was thinking about um, because a lot of things has happened in Iceland since then, and um, your. Uh, first female prime minister, not the president, but the first female prime minister, mm. she started off as an air hostess. Yeah. Also. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Now we go, I go a little bit outside of the book, sort of to jump a little bit in time, mm. because um, I f- find that it's such a, a struggle to be a woman in that time if you have ambitions of other things and being the perfect wife or the mother of children uh, or the beauty queen on the stage. In Iceland now you are known as a very, um, you have strong women in high positions and uh, everybody have heard about Vigdis Finnbogadottir who became the first democratically elected uh, head of state. Mm. And she is actually uh, maybe around 10 years older than the main character. So I thought she must have been through a lot of that resistance, people being against her as a woman to come into such a position. She, uh, she also had to leave Iceland to study in France and, and come back uh, before, <laughs> of course. Um, And is there something about what brought the change in Iceland? When did it become possible to have a female voice? A female voice? You mean yeah. as an author? That's a very big question, that. <laughs> um, well, I, I might, I would like first maybe, you know, answering that question to, to explain my, my starting point, because... Um, Things are obviously very different today. I mean, it's uh, young female writers in Iceland, and uh, as in other Nordic countries, they get a lot of encouragement, and um, it's quite cool to be a poet in Iceland now. Everyone um, young is writing poetry, um, so uh, both you know, young women and and young men. Um, but it was very different in in in, in 63, and I'm I'm actually a, an art historian, an ex-art historian, because I'm not 
teaching anymore at the, the university. And I'm supposed to be a specialist in the, in the 60s, in art in the 60s. And there are actually more than one starting point. The question could be, why did I decide to write a novel about this subject in, in 2018? So the, the answer would be that in many, if, if there is a starting point in, in, in today, present, like there, there is always something in, in, the, in the present time. Obviously, I'm, a, I'm living in, in the present time. So, but I, I came across um, an interview with, with an artist from 1963 um, where he asked a question. And the question was, why are there so few female writers in Iceland and all of them bad? That was in 63. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and then I also discovered that in this poet society, which was, like I said before, a man, man's club in Iceland in the 60s, um, women, male writers considered women as being their muses, their sources of, of inspiration. And it didn't matter if they were talented poets themselves, like my heroine. So I discovered that a woman that wanted to, to, to be a writer in the 60s was alone. She had no one to encourage her. She, she had no one to tell her how great she was, like, you know, the, the, they, you know, in the men's club, they encourage each other. So I also wanted to, um, so it's, it's a kind of an ode to, to uh, those marginal people and those talents that we didn't get to know. And we don't have to go very far back to, it can be our parents or our grandparents. And, you know, the Nordic countries are a bit of an island when, when it comes to women, women's rights in the world today, or minority rights like gay people, because, you know, one of the, the most important characters in the book is a young gay man. So it's not only a book about women. And I also thought it was okay um, to write because we have a, about you know, a million films and books that have been written and, and created in the world about a male character that is a writer surrounded by women that admire him. So I thought it was okay to write one book um, you know, with a female writer, even without being labeled as a, you know, feminist book. Um, so, I mean, we are witnessing a declension also, the, the rights of, of, of homosexual or gay people are, are declining in, in so many parts of the world. There are crimes of hatred and they're being bullied and also, in, you know, in the, in, in, in a community that are close to us in, in Western countries, not to speak about the, you know, the rest of the world. So, um, but, you know, uh, my, my grandmothers, they, they were both, um, they had 
artistic talents, but they were just, you know, they were orphans, both of them. They were poor women, and they, they never got the chance to, to exploit that, that gift. My, um, the, the mother of my father, she had musical talent. And you know, her nephew became a well-known composer in Iceland, but she didn't even own a, an instrument. And the same for the mother of my mother, she always wanted to write. And there are stories of, of her as a small child hiding somewhere to write a story. And she, she, she never became a writer, but she was a bit like, you know, Issei in the book, this side character who was a, a creative person in her life and, and turned it into her everyday, ordinary life into something bigger. So, um, but obviously, you know, things are, are not the same today. Then the next question would maybe be, do you have something in common with, do you have, do you share that experience? I, I thought maybe that was some yeah. undertone yeah. Or, yeah. or maybe, yeah? yeah. Well, I, w what we have in common, the, me and the, the main character is, well, what we have not in common is that I started late writing. And, and she has, I think, much more self-confidence confidence than, um, than I had. She writes like a male. And, but, um, so I may, be, I may be closer to her, her, her friend, the, the, the mother. When, when I started writing, I had two young children. The younger one only, uh, had only one, one year. And... Um, but um, we share the same destiny to, to be born on an island. We share the same destiny to, to write in a minority marginal language that so no one understands. And, um, you know, at the time, she was writing for 180,000 uh, people. We, we are like 340,000 today, but it's still uh, a minority language that's, um, that risks to, to disappear. And, um, but uh, what's different is that I found a publisher. Uh, she was too different from any published writer in Iceland to be published. She was supposed to be a very original writer. Um, people had a bit of a difficulty to put me in a box at the beginning. I had difficulties, find, I had to struggle a bit to be published in Iceland. And I was discovered late, well, really not until I had been translated into more than 20 languages. The Icelanders became a bit interested of who this author was. So, um, yeah, that, but there are differences, of course. Yes. Not the same, um, same world. But I would just like to add, I recently read this interview with um, um, the uh, Icelandic poet, Steinun Sigurðardóttir, and she's, she published her first uh, book of poetry in, in 1970 when she was 19 years old. And in this interview, she, she told she had never read a book written by a woman author in her life. 
So the situation, uh, what I'm trying to say by this is that the situation was, is very different in Iceland than it was in Denmark, where you had so many wonderful women writers. Um, I name them in, in my book because I make... I imagine that the heroine gets those books that no one knew in Iceland sent from abroad. I make her sailor the the um, the young gay her best friend that he, he wants to work in a theater. He wants to do the costumes in a theater, but he's 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 forced to be a, a sailor and um, and. Uh, a fisherman, and when he goes selling fish in, in Grimsby, he, he buys book for her, and he sends her also book when he moves to to Denmark, because that's what people did in the 60s in Iceland. Those who didn't have the right sexual orientation, they fled the island, and most of them did go to Copenhagen. They went abroad, where, where they thought they were more like them. And... Uh, but the question the books ask is where does a writer flee that writes in a language that no one understands? Mm. So the, the Miss Iceland in the book, I'm, I'm sorry to say that, is not the, a beauty queen, it's the writer. Who represents the, the, the country? It's actually the language itself. And uh, because in, in the, the context of the book, um, it's the, the, the fatherland of a writer is its language. I call it the motherland in the book. But the interesting thing about Hekla is also that she comes across as a very private person. She doesn't tell people around her that she writes. Only two people know that she is writing, and one is her best friend, the gay man, mm -hmm. uh, and the other one is Issei that we heard about before. But she she has an affair, and he he asks her one day um, uh, when he discovers that she is writing. Uh, so what do you see in me? Mm -hmm. Well, you are a man with a body. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I like. I, yeah, I know. Yeah, I like to in inverse a bit the the, the things because um, yeah, I can relate to that. She's not telling anyone she's writing because the, one of the questions the book asks is what comes first, being a poet or writing, and for for my main character for Hekla, it's an existential need to write. To write comes first. It doesn't matter. Um, no, she what thinks about how many her. words she loses while doing other things. Yeah, but he's <laughs> her boyfriend. He's uh, he's a, a poet. He's the poet, the only person called the poet in the book, and he's the only one that doesn't get any ideas, and not even he doesn't find those 15 words he needs to write a poem. But he's spending his time in Mocha Cafe with the other Bohemians, and uh, he's not very sure of himself, so at one point uh, he asks her, so what do you see in me? And she re 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 answers, um, 
you're a man, you have a body. And at one point she's asked whether she would, or her friend Issa asks her, what would you prefer, to write or to make love? And she wants to say both. And then she, uh, she's asked, what, what are your needs in life? And she says, a sheet of paper, a pen, and a male's body. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit, you know, playing with those things. He says, it takes so much time to be a poet. It doesn't take any time to be a poet. It just takes time to write. And that's one of the, the really witty things in the text is he because he talks so much about himself and his search for the perfect word or the perfect inspiration. And a lot of um, really good artists, they say inspiration is for amateurs uh, because you, you have to work. Mm -hmm. And she works at night. She works longer hours than he does. Yes, he has to sell her her time in, in order to survive. Yes, he's just an ordinary, I guess, a poor person. And when he's asleep, she gets up and she writes in secret in the kitchen or in her friend's house or so on, uh, while he never has enough time to write. And he keeps telling her how hard it is to be a poet. Mm. Uh, and it's really hard work. And she does all this writing. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's just um, fascinating to discover her life through him in a way because he talks about her yeah. and, and what life is about and she says nothing. Yeah, yes, she's, um, like you say, she keeps her for herself and, but it's, um, it's a me story. It's the, I use the first person. So even if we don't know her feelings and her thoughts, we see everyone else and you know the surroundings and and um, with like her conscience. That's how we 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 get to know her. And uh, yeah, and I also you know wanted to. Because we were, we, you know, it's 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 a novel about uh, the longing to write. It's a novel about creation. I think it's a novel about love also, and and it's um, a novel about writing in this minority language. It's a novel about isolation, and. You can find the, the the theme of an island in in most of my books, and and I'm taking it a bit further in in um, Miss Eastland and to to talk about you know isolation. But I I'm trying to confront what's going on in Iceland in 1963 with what's going on in the world, and there are many of you that would uh, remember 1963 because it's the year when Kennedy w got shot in, in, in Dallas. And it's, I have a dream. Yeah, it's yeah. the year when Martin Luther King made his famous speech, I have a dream. And the, the, um, the uh, young John, the gay um, man, he's 
quoting Martin Luther King all the time because King also said the problem of black people is the, the problem of white people because who created that problem? And he uses it to, to talk about his situation, you know, the problem of our homosexual. Who, who made up that problem? So um, it's also the, the year when Sylvia Plath uh, died. And I make her read the, the poetry of Sylvia Plath that no one knew in Iceland at the time, the, you know, when poets were, were still di discussing rhyme, rhymes or not rhymes. And, uh, yeah. And it's just interesting when, um, when she moves in with her boyfriend and she brings her books and he, he doesn't understand why she wants all those books because um, he says to her, but we have everything in our Icelandic literature. It says it all. Uh, so all the thoughts that the human race can think has been written in Icelandic. Yeah, we don't need foreign literature. But I make, it, um, I make her read Ulysses of James Joyce in the beginning on the bus to Reykjavik and um, 933 pages. And as he reads it with a dictionary, Icelandic English dictionary, she's not, you know, that good in, she doesn't speak English, so it's a bit of a task reading Ulysses. But she's fascinated by words already when she's a child, because they have a bookshelf and she starts from the, the bottom shelf and she reads the books and all the words and all the dictionaries, but she gets to a point where she can't reach yeah. The books on the top, and her mother tells her, you have to grow in order to read more books. Yeah, you have to grow up in order to be able to read certain books, you know. Um, yeah. And also the librarian, her, her boyfriend, she, she, he noticed her uh, the first time she enters the library because she takes the book shelves by shelf, and she, she would read some of the pages and the last pages and then move on to the next book and and he says nobody reads books that way so yeah by shelves <laughs> yeah. and also by reading the the beginning and, and the the ending well, i do actually yeah. <laughs> i imagine that <laughs> yeah. yeah i always re read the, the beginning and the ending and then i decide if i'm going to buy it yeah <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and um but uh, talking about Jon um, John, um, he his talent is with the sewing machine, and he he wants to design dresses. And when he has to take these horrible jobs at fishing boats, at sea, where he gets beaten up and tortured by his colleagues for not being a real man. Uh, when he gets to England, he will buy her books and he will buy nice fabric and he will design dresses. Uh, he makes her a Chaplin Kennedy dress, yeah. for example. And um, it's and like the sewing machine is like his, like a writing machine, you know. Yeah. And there's a very, very beautiful uh, passage in the book where. She, she has to explain to her boyfriend how, why, 
why she's going to see her friend all the time. And uh, uh, she has this excuse, well, I, he has a sewing machine and I can go and make curtains. And of course her friend makes the curtains while she is writing in secret for her boyfriend. <laughs> and um, there's a beautiful passage where, where he talks about his desire to create is like her desire to write. And none of them can do it in public. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they're not supposed to. They have the wrong sex to do yeah. what they're doing. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, his manhood is being questioned uh, all the time. So, yeah, the too sensitive person, outsiders, marginal people, creative people that um, there wasn't that, that are trying to find their place in the in, in the society. And then eventually one of them flees Iceland. Mm. I think maybe we should hear another passage. Yes. Yeah? With Jungjan. Udødelighed. Det er søndag, og jeg har brug for at komme hen på Stirimannerstigjør og skrive. Digteren ligger på sengen med folkeviljen sammenfoldet på brystet. Her i landet er man i færd med at etablere et uforfalsket og hemmingsløst kapitalistisk system, hvor overkale udplønder den almindelige befolkning og profitten af altings målestok. Han rejser sig og slår ivrigt ud med armene som en mand på en talerstol. Der er gået 19 år siden Island fik sin selvstændighed, og grusserer har taget over efter danske konger og monopolkøbmænd, der er i gang med at bygge forretningspaladser hele vejen ud langs Sydjyrelandsbrøjt for deres fortjeneste på danske lavkagebunde. Jeg fortæller digteren, at jeg vil aflægge Jon John et besøg. Jamen, du besøgte ham også i går. Og i forgårs. Ja, jeg er ved at syge gardiner til tagvinduet. Han virker forundret. Og han har en sygemaskine. Ja. Han betragter mig omhyggeligt. Jeg synes, det er lidt underligt, at ens kæreste er venner med en mand, som hun besøger hver dag efter arbejde og i weekender. Han står ved vinduet. Havlbyen buller mod glasset. Hvis ikke jeg vidste, at han ikke er til kvinder, ville jeg være bekymret over, at du hænger så meget henne hos ham. Han går en runde frem og tilbage over gulvet. Jeg hørte, at I havde været til maleriudstilling i kunstnerhallen. Ja, vi gik på maleriudstilling. Hvem har fortalt dig det? Thoradin Dragfjord. Han er en af os, Mokka-digterne. Da han har læst en af sine noveller op i radioen, tilføjer han. Ja, siger jeg. Jeg hilste også på ham. Han talte om dig. Ja, så. Ja, han, han sagde, at du havde store evner og ville blive berømt. Sagde han det? Ja. Han smiler. Jeg sagde det samme om ham forleden. Han havde store evner og ville blive berømt. Han er synlig rørt og har glemt, at jeg har en sømandsven. Han sætter sig ved bordet, stopper en pibe og tænder den, rejser sig så, går hen til vinduet og kigger ud i stormvejret. Derfra går han hen til sengen. Skal vi ikke tage sådan en lur, inden du går? spørger han. Efter aftensmad kommer radiofølgetongen, tilføjer han. Skal du ikke ud og møde digterne? Ikke i aften. Jeg havde tænkt mig at tage mig lidt af min pige, 
Han lægger armene om mig. Jeg kom til at tænke på, at vi kunne tage ud og danse næste weekend. På Glavnbjerg. Tager sin sving om. Sådan som kærester gør. Han giver slip på mig for at lede efter Prokofjev i pladesamlingen. Gardin nummer 1. Mens min sømand syr gardiner til tagvinduet på skolevartesti, sidder jeg på sengen med skrivemaskinen på natbordet og skriver. Det passer præcist. Da jeg slutter kapitlet, rækker min ven mig de sammenfoldede gardiner. Han havde tilbudt at købe stoffet til mig. Det er orange med violet rudemønster og en rynket kniblingsbord forneden. Han sætter symaskinen ind i skabet igen og laver plads til mig på skrivebordet. Jeg smiler til ham og ruller et nyt ark i maskinen. Han står bag ved mig og følger med i, at jeg skriver. Er jeg med i historien? Du er med i den og alligevel ikke med i den. Jeg tilhører ikke nogen gruppehækle. Man har helt glemt at regne mig med. Han sætter sig på divanen, og jeg rejser mig og sætter mig ved siden af ham. Gør mig til et kapitel i en roman, så mit liv får en betydning. Skriver man fyr, som elsker fyre. Det gør jeg også. Og som ikke kan udstå vold. Jeg nikker. De er ikke så lidt kulørte, siger digteren, da jeg hænger de gardiner op, som Jon John har syet til tagvinduet på skolevartesti som en solnedgang og det violette akrafjæld i et og samme gardin. Han slukker lyset. Jeg er ligeglad med, om du hænger ud med bøsser, tilføjer han. Vidste du, Hekla, sagde min sømand, mens han så mig skrive, at skrivemaskinen blev opfundet hele 52 gange. Yeah, in he, this. Yeah, you know he's like um, uh, Young John. He has the uh, double uh, minority positions because he's the um, the son of an illegitimate uh, son of a, an Icelandic woman and um, a foreign soldier. Um, so his mother uh, gave him the the name, the same name in Icelandic and like we we say foreign language so Jon John it's actually Jon John in case he wanted to 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 go searching for his roots abroad later hmm. and and uh, yeah he doesn't belong in Iceland and he doesn't belong anywhere he he feels wrong in anything yeah history. he thinks there are more like him um abroad in Copenhagen was you know his first destination um, it's like the um, I mean I've, I've written uh, other books with uh, female writers that are not you know the Hollywood type of writers like in Svaner Bliverikke Skilt there was this female writer that was a dwarf and she, she went abroad as well because there were you know so few dwarfs in Iceland there were more like me she said abroad mm. and and uh, i've also read in an interview with you that you feel a strong urge to give people a voice that don't have one in society is that yeah yeah i think that's 
that was my aim by writing uh, Miss Eastland. For that was a story I just couldn't miss to tell. No one had told that story before, and uh, I mean those talents we we never got to know. And um, well, in general, the the book was very well received in in Iceland. It 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 became a bestseller. But but I had the chance to. It came out just four days after I got the Nordic Council Prize, so it helped. Obviously, I didn't know about that prize when we decided when it would come out. But you know, the young people they really liked it, they could relate to it, and teachers tell me that it's very popular in high schools in Iceland. And women readers, they liked the book as well. Um, elderly men, a bit older than, than me, they, um, they had some, some of them had difficulties. Um, because like uh, one of them explained to me he would have liked they were equally good poets, the, the woman and the, her boyfriend, <laughs> and they established um, a, like a conversation thread on Facebook where they were pointing out historical um, facts that, that didn't match, um, like... Um, uh, you know, the, 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 the heroine is delivered by this wet that had come to inseminate a cow at her farm, and insemination of cows didn't start in Iceland until two years later. <laughs> so, um, and the same, then I had this very, very sweet letter from an elderly bird watcher, and he he explained to me that the uh, the type of bird that I use in like half a sentence in the book Svartthruster, I don't know the the the, the type in, in Danish, but that it didn't nest in Iceland until in '65. So I wrote him back and thanked him for the letter and and because you know the paper edition was coming out and I could have changed it for the paper edition. But I explained to him that I would like to keep that bird for the musicality of the word in a sentence, uh, and that I would like to imagine that it was the first of that type of bird that, that he came like before the rest of them. <laughs> <laughs> just to check to see if it was a good place to bring up the, the small ones and to nest. <laughs> and then he would fly back and tell the other ones, you can come <laughs> over. So, yeah. yeah. So I know that, that was quite sweet. But I, I didn't really expect it to be a, a political novel um, like some, you know, like it was received but, but that is how it's perceived especially by the younger generation you say since well, it's a very important book in in high school yeah so we well they can relate to it because also the, the the three main characters they are so young i mean mm. it's not speaking of the official um established writers of iceland 
There's no established writer. I, I was really, I made sure that the, the, those, the, the characters were so young. And I mean, when one of the, the guys loses a manuscript, they were always losing the manuscript that would show that they were a genius and, you know, the next Nobel Prize winner. Uh, they got drunk and they lost the manuscripts. And then he goes, he, he goes drowning his sorrows to his mother's home. You know, he's so young. So I, I just made sure that they, they couldn't put a name of any of those characters. They're, they're not, not supposed to be about the, it's not a book about the official well-known, we had obviously some good writers in Iceland at that time. You know, Halto Laxness, he, he never went to the cafes to write. He was not part of the Bohemians. He said he had much better cafe at home. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, we hear him. He's mentioned when his maybe is driving by the bus as he's going to Reykjavik. People talk about yeah. the bus. Well, is he, that Laxness? Yeah, he's mentioned. He's not mentioned. It's his car that's yeah. mentioned. What kind, because he had all, this, all the time these fancy types of cars. And all the men are interested in what sort of car. And then they think it's the Nobel Prize winner, but then they see there's a woman driving. So, and there are children in the back seat, so they lose interest. <laughs> it's his car, but it's his wife driving the children to school. Or but I have been thinking about, I mean, and, and Lisa and I have been talking about it, that one of the reasons why it maybe also rings a bell with the young generation is because over the last couple of years we have had this discussion about Me Too. <laughs> and because this book is so um, graphic in the way it describes uh, how men behave, especially at the hotel, we were talking about... Uh, how Me Too has affected life in Denmark or hasn't affected it. Has it had, has this debate, because your book came out more or less at the time as it mm -hmm. sort of came out, um, have you had this discussion about the book and, and Me Too or mm -hmm. is this something we imagine? Yeah, well, I, not really. Um, mm, yes, probably I have. Uh, but I would have written it anyway. You know, it has been simmering in, in my head for, like any book, for years before I, I, I find a way to, uh, to, to, to write it. And uh, that book was, was different. A book is also, it's nearly always about something else that the, the reader doesn't notice. And I was doing some experiments with, actually with, with time and how much I could cut without the, 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 the reader losing the threat. And I wanted to, to start in a quite traditional way and then, you know, end up like, um, like a, a prose, more like a prose. And that means there are more spaces between the lines, you know. The closer text is to poetry, it means there are more spaces between the words. Um, but to answer your question, I think Me Too has maybe especially changed a lot in the film industry. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we just, 
watching uh, some films today, we just, you know, what were they thinking about? You, mean, I, you could never make the same types of films today. And uh, recently there's this young Icelandic composer, Hildur Guðnadóttir, that's got, you know, all the prizes in in, in making um, film music and uh, the Golden Globe and etc. etc. and she finally got the, the Oscars a few days back. And that's why they are asking, they are given the, the opportunity to women now. They are asking women to do things. And my experience also as an art historian is that given the, the, the chances, given the possibility you have equally as many good artists of both sexes. It's obvious for, I think, for <laughs> all of us in the, in, in the audience. Um, I mean, but it hasn't always been like that. And there are more, in most writers' association of the, in the world, there are much more um, men, also in Iceland. But speaking of really good writers, in Iceland today, I would say there are equally uh, as many women as, as men. That's like a normal situation in any country. So um, I would say maybe there are more good poets, women poets in Iceland, and, and, but those who are writing fiction are, you know, it's more equal there. So, um, um, yeah, it's that also was because the need I, to answer. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, but it's okay. <laughs> but I, I came across um, an interview um, with your present prime minister, Catherine. Um, Catherine, where, Catherine yeah, 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 yeah. Where she says, um, I bring gender equality to the table no matter what I'm talking about. You have to do this. You have to talk about gender equality when talking with trade unions or with employers or when talking about the climate. Gender equality is not something to hide away. Yeah. And she did, of course, this at a Me Too conference, the first sort of official, official international Me Too uh, conference, which was in Iceland last year. Yeah. Um, yeah, we have to be aware of that. We have always to remind us that, you know, we can look at so many countries and see how how things can reverse, how, how they can, like, change in one night. You know, the established human rights, they, y y everything can just fall over. Uh, some, some social changes, some changes in politics, and you're back to square square one. Mm. So that's, you know, I totally agree mm. with her. And Heckler is just, your character, Heckler is just a prime example of one that sort of, she's strong enough and she mm. believes in herself and she carries through to achieve her goals and she does achieve. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yes, it, she, she does. Uh, from her, like, her perspective, because um, she just wants someone to read her writings. It doesn't matter if, if it hasn't got her name on the cover. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I, well, I can, I can relate to that. Mm. Um. She, um, she eventually she goes to Denmark with uh, Jung John. Um, and, uh, yeah, he sends her a ticket. Yes. She sails there. 
so she gets out of Iceland without ever having to be Miss Island, Miss Iceland, and she um, has to look for a job. He is happy with supporting her, but she wants to have a job herself. Uh, she doesn't want to be uh, sort of a kept woman in a way, but she she um, so she goes also for a job interview in Denmark, and because she is so sick of being the beautiful woman that men would like to touch, she asks if she can be working uh, in the back where nobody can behind, see her, behind, yeah. uh, where nobody sees her. Yeah. Um, and um, there's also just a... Um, uh, and she, the, at the job interview, um, She's being asked how she learned to speak Danish, and and uh, she tells about how she read Danish books and and dictionaries, just like one word at a time, and and he's very surprised also because of this application. She uses words that is not sort of normally used in in language, um, but even in in Denmark, life is difficult for both of them, in a way. And um, and uh, they flee once more. Why yeah, is that? They con yeah, they continue the, the traveling, yeah. And it becomes more and more abstract. We don't really know where they had to. They go south as far as the, the On train On a one-way ticket. Yeah. yeah. And they also end up marrying. Yeah, he's a spoiler. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, but that was the usual yeah. situation. I mean, I, I usually, well, I, I wrote the first draft, and after I had printed it out, I read some autobiographies um, uh, written about, you know, um, by gay men who had lived in the 60s, and I, I found the same phrases, I mean, uh, wishing they were normal. Many of them got married just to, to, to get peace, you know. And, you know, in, in general it's said that 25% of, of, of gay men are married, you know, um, today. So... Um, yeah, they are. They they get married. They, I think, actually, what well, their story is probably the the love the love story of the book, and I think she's probably in love with him, um, and um, he loves her in in his way. Um, so yeah, it's it's complicated. Mm. But Issei actually tells Hekla uh, because she has this ability to use her coffee um, to to tell the future. Yeah, predict. And she also is to predict the future. And she also at one point says, uh, "You make love to one and love the other." Yes, um, yeah, I had forgotten that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, uh, they protect each other. He gives her the chances and the, the possibility to write, and she's 
kind of taking care of him. Uh, so they are, it's a beautiful friendship, I, I think. And he says at one point something like, um, he's, he's sending her, one of the books he's sending her is The, uh, the Second Sex by Simon de Beauvoir. And I made sure that the book had been translated actually into English uh, in, in 1963. So he buys that book and gives her the book. And he says something, you're number two, but I, I don't have a number. And he sa also says the future, in the future there's room for a, a female writer, but the, there's no room for a queer person. So it's no more likely that we will be equal than a man walks on the moon, he says. Yeah, that's very beautiful. <laughs> so we can look at that as, as something, you know, optimistic and that we, we um, uh, something that could come true. But they also both carry uh, Iceland and the nature in them. And one of the things that maybe also is part of the fascination for us who are not Icelandic is how nature infiltrates uh, many uh, writings from Iceland. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's part of the fascination abroad, I guess, that there's quotes from nature, nature and they constantly react to nature. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I personally, people might not agree. I don't think Icelandic authors they 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 have nothing in common except writing in this minority language that so few people speak. But yeah, of course there is nature, but I I never use nature um, uh, or or scenery or landscape in my books to 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 make something beautiful. Everything I put in a novel has is there for a reason, has a meaning. So, like in in Miss Eastland, there, the the vulcanism, the landscape. It's a book about creation. So I I I put um, I'm I'm somehow. Um, making the parallel between the, the creation of nature. You know, the Iceland is the, the most uh, uh, volcanic uh, country in the world. It had in 1963 150 active volcanoes. It still has today. We are always expecting some, some uh, nice eruptions. We are expecting Hekla to erupt any time tomorrow or in two years or uh, she's ready like a pregnant woman. So, um, but I wanted this, I, I mean about creation, I wanted to, to really to show also the creation not just in art but in nature. Iceland is also the youngest country geographically speaking in the world it's like a newborn baby it's like a naked body if you compare it to, to your daily Denmark <laughs> the green you know the green uh, um, color when you think about Denmark you, you, uh, and like in the book there's always good weather abroad 
Mm. Including Denmark, so and good weather for Iceland is that you can just wear your sweater. You don't need a coat. You can use an umbrella when it rains. We never use umbrellas, you know. He's lived five years in yeah. Iceland. He survived five years. He should get an applause. <laughs> yeah. But I think we should. I think we have one more passage that I I absolutely love that I would like you to read. <coughs> Jeg vil et andet sted hen. Viljen går mod en anden stjerne. Min veninde tager en slurk af kaffekoppen, tømmer den, svinger den tre gange over sit hoved og sætter den på kanten af konfurets kogeplade. Barnet sidder på gulvet og leger med kilingen. Jeg var til møde med forlæggeren, siger jeg. Vil han udgive bogen? Nej. Hvad sagde han? Han sagde, at han ikke kunne udgive noget, som var anderledes end det, hans forfattere skrev. Fandt han ingen snedrivelignende kæreuld? Nej. Ingen sol, som læger sår, ingen skumring, som indhylder længslen. Nej. Ikke det, der ligner? Nej. Jeg siger ingenting et stykke tid, og heller ikke min veninde. Jeg kan ikke undvære den nerve, I sagde, at skrive. Det er min livligne. Jeg har ikke andet. Fantasien er det eneste, jeg ejer. Du er ikke dagens digter, Hekla. Du er morgendagens digter. Hvad plejer ikke din far at sige, at du blev født for tidligt? Hun rejser sig og går hen til vinduet. Maven er blevet større. Kan du huske den kvinde, jeg fortalte om i kælderen inde ved siden af? Ja. Hun gik i havet i weekenden. Det var fiskehandleren, der fortalte mig det. Jeg kunne have sagt mig selv, at ikke alting var, som det skulle være. Efter fem måneder var der stadig ikke kommet nogen gardiner op. Jeg hørte, hun var blevet indlagt på klapfyret. Hun var holdt op med at lave mad og græd hele dagen, efter hun fik det fjerde barn. Hun var 23, og den ældste dreng er syv år. Hendes søster vil tage de to yngste børn til sig. Hendes mand har fundet sig en ny dame, men hun kan ikke have børnene. Jeg er sådan med lidenhed med dem. De ældste drenge bliver sendt ud til et børnehjem på landet. Hun vender sig om og kommer hen til mig. Kan du huske, Hekla, da vi stod på skøjter ind i dalen og løb hele vejen tilbage på de frosne tun? Du var forrest, og jeg bagefter, og der var små totter af gule strå, som stak op gennem isen, og dengang var chakket, som kom vestpå for at lægge elektricitetsledningen i jorden, endnu ikke dukket op, og alting lå ude i fremtiden. Hun lader sig dumpe ned i en stol og ser ned på sine hænder, på de åbne håndflader. I morges nåede den første solstråle i fem måneder ind af kældervinduet. Jeg blev siddende et lille stykke tid med strålen i skødet, med hænderne fulde af lys, inden jeg stod op. Og de vigtigste nyheder, jejlen er kommet. Søen er ved at fyldes af fugle, og det var ikke længe før dag og nat er lige lange. Da jeg kommer hjem, ligger digteren på sengen med radioen lige ved øret og hører nyheder. Og de vigtigste nyheder? Jejlen er kommet. Han skruer ned fra apparatet og vil vide, hvor jeg har været. Det fortæller jeg ham. Hos Isæ? Han sætter sig op. Vi kan ikke blive ved med at bo sådan. Kog kartofler i samme gryde som fisken. Han fortæller, at han har hørt om et værelse med køkkenkrog på Frakrastigjørt, som bliver ledigt inden længe, og en toværelses lejlighed i Øljegatter. 
Vi burde skaffe os et hjem, som du kan sætte dit præg på. Med spisebord og du. Hvad siger du til det, kære Hekla? Jeg står ved vinduet. En solsort renser fjer efter et bad i randestenen. Med vingerne som en sammenklappet paraply. Vi kunne tage bussen til Thingvillert og sove i telt i den vindstille ro ved søen og blive der nogle dage og gøre ting, som kærester gør, siger han. Han ser på mig. Vi kunne da tage en taxa derud. Jeg kunne få lov at låne et telt med gummiunderlag og nogle soveposer, og vi kunne købe forfriskninger i Valhall. Vi kunne få lov os. Han tænker sig lidt om. Jeg kunne sandsynligvis få lov at låne et sommerhus i Grafningjør, fortsætter han. De kunne sidde side om side og skrive og læse og mærke lugten af markens grøde. Du kunne sove ned i søen. Hvad siger du til det, kære Hekla? Om natten går jeg ud i køkkenet og ruller et nyt ark papir i skrivemaskinen. Jeg, undertegnet Hekla Jøtlas Jøtkalkstortier, opsiger hernede min stilling i restaurationen på Hotel Borg. Grunden til opsigelsen er usømmelig opførsel hos mandlige kunder, som forstyrrer mit arbejde og mit privatliv. Lyset har løsnet nattens greb. Næste dag møder jeg op i lange bukser på Hotel Borg for at aflevere opsigelsesbrevet. Verden er ikke sådan, som du vil have den, siger overtjeneren. Du er kvinde. Det må du affinde dig med. Derpå går jeg ind på hos ind på hoteldirektørens kontor og beder om min løn for den seneste uge. Jeg havde ventet, at der ville blive skandale, siger Siri. At du vil nægte at betjene kunder eller hælde en kan kaffe ud over herrene ved en runde bord. Hun står ude på fortorvet og ryger. Jeg havde ventet, at du ville blive sagt op, fordi du havde din egen mening og manglede serviceindstilling. Men ikke, at du ville aflevere forklædet. Piger plejer at blive fyret, hvis de er for store på den. Vi er samme strof, som drømme gøres af. Digteren kom på besøg, siger min veninde. Hun sidder over for mig og mader sin datter. Jeg tager en slurk af kaffekoppen. Stakket? Ja. Jeg inviterede ham inden for at lave kaffe. Han var utrolig forstemt, men sagde, at vi havde et smukt hjem. Han gik hen til malerierne og studerede dem omhyggeligt. Han studerede også billederne af os på skinken. Han blev stående længe med billedet af dig og mig i hånden, der hvor vi står foran hegnet om folden til forindsamlingen. Han kiggede på Torgert og sagde, Vil du hvad, I sagde? Jeg kan slet ikke genkende Hekla. Så spurgte han, om du tænkte på at gå fra ham. Hun tøver og ser direkte på mig. Og har du tænkt dig at gøre det? Ja. Hun tør barnet om munden, tager hæsmækken af det og sætter det ned på gulvet. Barnet går nogle skridt og trækker traktoren efter sig. Jon John har sendt mig en billet. Jeg sejler med Gulfos. Hun skænker op i kaffekoppen. I løbet af det kommende år vil der være sket noget i dit liv, som ændrer dit syn på verden. Men hos os vil alt være det samme. Bortset fra, at vi til den tid vil være blevet fire. Du vil have stået under et bøgetræ skinnende krone og have indåndet duften. Du vil have set solen skinne gennem et blad. Det er ikke usandsynligt, at du vil have set den ule i øjnene. Du vil stå i din nederdel med frakken over armen. 
Hun henter kaffekanden på komfuret og skænker igen op i min kop. Du rejser ud i verden, og jeg bliver tilbage og håber, at fiskehandleren pakker kulderen ind i et digt eller en følgetong. Hun rejser sig og henter sin datter, som har skubbet en stol hen til skænken og på vej op på den. Der er ikke lang tid til, at bønderne hjemme i Dalat begynder at brænde høvet af. Så kommer der røglugt i luften og afsvedet jord, ja. Til med sorte dynger, siger hun. Det bliver ved at gløde længe i mosset. Og når der ikke længere er nat mellem dagene, vil der blive født et barn. Jeg synes også, det er et meget smukt eksempel på, hvordan hovedpersonen egentlig aldrig siger selv, hvad hun vil eller hvad hun tænker, men folk siger det til hende, eller stiller hende spørgsmålet. Ja, yeah. yeah, she doesn't say much, oh, she says, <laughs> she says important things. Hun siger, hun siger, fantasien, det er det eneste, jeg ejer, det er min livline, noget sådan, ja. Og I think, It would have been nice to be able to continue in Danish. I was oh, trying fine. to flatter you, you know, <laughs> this last minute. Um, I think actually imagination is part of reality. It's not separate. It's part of reality. And it's really an important part of reality. Mm. You have to be able to dream new worlds in order to create them. Absolutely. Mm. I think we should also hear your voice. So if you maybe would read a little bit in Icelandic without translation, so we get uh, the feeling of the real language. Okay, so I can read just anywhere because <laughs> there is the ambassador and my daughter and otherwise, you know, um, well, I'll, I'll just read the beginning then. Um, the birth of a poet, of the uh, heroine. Herbergi hennar er mig ól. Ég gekk fram á Arnarheiður þegar ég var komin fimm mánuði á leið með þig, óvandaða tveggja metra bælingu í melgrasi á klettabrún niður við ána, þar kurðu tveir Arnarungar, stærðar boltar, Ég var ein á ferð og örninn hnitaði hringi yfir mér og hreiðrinu, reyttur í annan vængin, þung vængjatök en lagði ekki til atlögu. Ég gerði ráð fyrir að það væri kvennfuglin. Hann fylgdi mér alla leið heim á hlað, svartur skuggi yfir mér eins og þegar skýdregur fyrir sólu. Ég fann á mér að það yrði drengur og ákvað að skýra hann örn. Sama dag og þú fættist þremur vikum fyrir tíman flaug assan aftur yfir bæinn. Gamli dýralæknir ima staddur hjá okkur að sæða kú og tók á móti þér. Það var síðasta embættisverk hans að taka á móti barni áður en hann fór á eftirlaun. Þegar hann kom úr fjósinu klætti hann sig úr vaðstífilunum og þvoði sér um hendurnar með nýju lúks sápustykki. Síðan lyftan þér upp og sagði Lux, Mundi, 
ljós heimsins. Du har lyttet til en podcast fra det Kongelige Bibliotek. Husk, at du kan abonnere på podcasten i din foretrukne podcast-app. Hvis du kunne lide, hvad du hørte, så del det gerne med andre, der også kunne være interesseret. Hvis du har kommentarer til podcasten, så find Den Sorte Diamant på Facebook, hvor du også kan holde dig orienteret om kommende arrangementer i Diamanten. Podcasten er produceret af Kulturafdelingen på Det Kongelige Bibliotek, og musikken er af Søren Jacobsen.